when people are suffering when people are vulnerable help them serve them be a decent human being first and foremost it's very easy to exploit in these kind of situations but don't serve them this is the time to serve and also what happens you know the old uh, uh, proverb or uh, adage which says a friend in need is a friend indeed be a friend to the consumer when the consumer needs you then when good times come the consumer will stick with you Hello and welcome to the Fintech Marketing Podcast, bringing you ideas and insights from the world's leading financial service marketers. I'm your host, Eric Fulweiler, Chief Marketing Officer of 11FS. I'm on a mission to learn how the world's hottest fintech startups and most innovative financial service brands drive growth through modern day marketing. Today's guest is Raja Rajamanar, Global Chief Marketing Officer of MasterCard, WFA Global Marketer of the Year in 2018, a member of the CMO Club Hall of Fame. I literally have like five lines in the show notes of all the accolades uh, that you've been given over the years, Raja. So it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for making time. Thank you very much for having me, Eric. So let's kick it off. First question for you is, what is your favorite brand in financial services? And it can't be MasterCard. And why? Well, I think there itself, we have put a very tough situation uh, for me to be in. So, of course, MasterCard, I love dearly and I'm very passionate about it. But outside of MasterCard, I would say that Citibank or City is one of my favorite brands. Uh, three reasons, I would say. Firstly, I worked with City for about 15 years and I understood the brand from within. And also I understand the brand from outside. And I think it's an incredible, incredible brand. Second, I think from a design element point of view, because the name is so short, it really uh, can be maneuvered into different situations and into broad uh, series of applications in a highly, highly impactful fashion. And the last I would say is because uh, Citibank has been very consistent in how it has been pushing the brand, positioning the brand, packaging the brand and using the brand over the years. And I think their lights in uh, one of the biggest strengths for the brand. So it's one of my favorite brands. So when you talk about knowing the brand from the inside, is that something that just comes with time? Or is that something, how, how do you kind of get there when you actually know the brand through and through from the inside out like that? See, I think the brand and the company sort of merge when it comes to values. So the brand is the epitome of what the company stands for. You know, its purpose, its values, its characteristics, its imagery, its equity, everything is translated into a tangible form through the brand. And uh, having worked there for 15 years, uh, well, and I've been fortunate to be both on the marketing side of the house as well as on the business side of Citibank, and I got to see the brand in action, the company in action and the brand actually manifesting it. And that really, uh, to me, was an incredible opportunity to see things at very close quarters. And uh, the brand limited values. And it really was seen in action. Like, you know, it was one of the most, uh, during the times that I worked there, uh, this was from 1994 to 2009, uh, it was the leading uh, financial services brand. At one point, it was the world's largest financial services company as well. 
and uh, they lived with some values. It was seen to be cutting edge, very innovative, ahead of its time, in many ways, setting the uh, uh, you know path for other financial services companies in those days. And the brand exactly embodied those very values and manifested them so beautifully. And when they had this tagline called The City Never Sleeps, that was brilliant. I think even till now, I think it's one of the best taglines out there. And how have you gone about uh, learning the brand from the inside out in your time at MasterCard? Do you feel like you're at that city level yet? Because you've been at MasterCard now going on seven years, I think. Yes. Uh, it's been, this is my seventh year and I uh, feel very blessed to have inherited a brand, which was a far, uh, which was one of the top hundred brands in the world. And uh, uh, when I had gone in, it was a very interesting journey, right? Uh, looking at it from outside, I felt at the time that MasterCard brand was a little obsolete. Uh, it was not fully in line with the contemporary scenario where you are having the fintechs coming in in a big way, uh, where you have got the Silicon Valley giants getting into the payment space and all. And MasterCard was still stuck a little bit in the traditional world. Uh, and the brand intrinsic values and characteristics and the purpose, the mission were all absolutely fantastic. But the brand itself was not completely doing justice to it, is how I saw it from inside when I started. And since then, it has been a complete journey of transforming the brand from where it was uh, to where it is today. In, the, in this last uh, short, I would say, seven years, uh, this brand has now become uh, coming from high 80s in the top 100 brands. Uh, today it is at number 12 as measured by uh, Brand Z. And this year we just received awards from the New York uh, uh, Advertising Awards folks. that uh, This is the uh, global brand of the year. And AMP has recognized us as the number one sonic brand in the world. So we have contemporized. We went through a major amount of transformation, both visually but also brought in new dimensions uh, to our brand by way of Sonic, giving a Sonic identity on brand. And on the visual side, we took some very bold decisions. This brand, which had incredible recognition around the world, and the company has been consistently investing in for the last five decades, we had changed it. So we retained the red and yellow color and the two circles, but the two red and yellow are very different. The proportionality and the uh, overlaps of the circles are very different. The subtle nuances that we brought in made a huge difference to the perception of the brand logo. And we dropped the name MasterCard from our logo, making it a symbol-only brand, which has its own unique and huge advantages. So now the brand is seen as very contemporary. It's seen as very modern and forward-looking. It's seen as a lifestyle brand. It is seen as being aspirational. And uh, some of the issues that we had uh, back in 2013, no longer remain. And now this is one of the most vibrant uh, lifestyle brands that you have got in the world. And I feel very pleased with the kind of progress we have made so far. Amazing. Well, it's been a busy uh, seven years for you, that's for sure. You bet. You bet. So there's, there's, there's so many questions uh, that I would want to ask you on, on the last seven years on your experience overall. Um, I think based on what you said, there's a couple things that come to mind. It'd be great to hear you talk a little bit more about Sonic branding, because that's something that uh, I'm a big believer in. We actually launched an audio logo here at 11FS earlier this year. Um, in my previous role at a, at a New York-based agency, we did a lot of Sonic branding, just really believing that um, 
you know, the brand is the manifestation of the experience between the customer and the product, regardless of where it is. And we're moving to a world that is going to be more and more dominated by voice. And so it'd be interesting to hear you, you all have been, you know, kind of a pioneer in terms of a big brand stepping into that space in a big way. It'd be interesting to hear how you think about that and maybe what the roadmap is for Sonic going forward. Absolutely. So this has been a very exciting and a passionate journey personally for me. Having been trained in Indian classical music for a short time, I have always been inclined towards music and sound and very sensitive to it. So first and foremost, brands were purely focused on audiovisual as the biggest form of uh, conveying about their brand through advertisements and uh, uh, videos and so on. And the second part was that uh, the emerging technologies like smart speakers do not have any visual real estate. And the entire interaction of the consumers with that machine or with that device happens purely based on voice. So let me come to the first one. The traditional ways of engaging consumers through audiovisual uh, advertisements and so on, I think that is dead or it is dying if it's not already dead. Uh, the reason why I say it is, on the one hand, consumers are being bombarded by 3,000 to 5,000 messages, commercial messages, every single day. They just cannot take it. So they, they turn the whistles off. They tune the whistles off. Number two, the span of attention of human beings has started actually shrinking. Pretty interesting because of the multiple screens and a lot of distractions all the time. They are training themselves to not focus for a length of time. And number three, uh, what, what I typically I, I try to do is if I'm in a helpless situation where I'm confronted with an ad, I simply walk away from there and use that time to look at my emails or do something else. If this is the kind of feeling people have got about uh, advertisements, we cannot as marketers hold on to the traditional methods and say, oh, maybe if I do my advertisement, people will react better. It's not about the content of your advertisement. It's about the concept of advertising and the way it is served that people hate it. So we said that, how, what do we do about it? So we said, we need to really rethink the whole strategy. On the one hand, we pivoted from traditional advertising to experiential marketing. So we said we will curate and create beautiful once in a lifetime or extraordinary experiences for consumers at scale and in a very economical fashion. And if we do that, people will enjoy that. And once they experience, they want to share that experience in their social circles. So this is like the traditional word of mouth, which has a lot of credibility and people used to really rely on, brands used to rely on those, but we are doing it on steroids. Then the second we said is, how do we optimize every element of the senses with which consumers are uh, absorbing information? And it ha you have to connect to their heart. You have to connect to their primal brain where there are feelings. So we said sound is by far the most powerful uh, sense through which you can connect with consumers. So we said we have to manifest. Now we said one of the simplest things is to create a sonic a jingle, for example. Jingles have been there forever. And where there are jingles, I can still remember jingles as a consumer, even from my childhood. Right? And that's a power. There is a lasting power of and retention of these jingles in people's minds. But we said jingles are 50 years old. And now science has advanced so much in neurology, psychology, sociology, the science of sound itself has advanced so much. Are we taking advantage of it? Are, are any brands taking advantage of it? 
So this is one part. Just to switch to the second one, and I'll come back and join both these uh, points together. The second aspect is when you have things like uh, Google Home, uh, the smart speaker, or you've got Alexa, the device there, uh, Amazon's, the entire interaction from start to finish is purely voice-based. Even if I have the world's best logo, which I believe I have got one of the best logos in the world, if there is no visual real estate, what do I do with it? And how do I manifest the brand in this pure sound-only environment? So you need to have a sonic brand. So joining these two, we said, let's create our own sonic identity or sonic brand. So we looked at a whole bunch of companies out there trying to say who is doing it well so we can learn from them and take it from there on. Shockingly, we did not find any company that we could emulate. There were some companies which were using a nice background music, like, for example, British Airways. They use an ARIA, which is absolutely fantastic, and they have been consistently doing it for decades. That's very good, but that's all that they do. Then you've got companies like Intel, which have got a fantastic mnemonic at the end of their ads, but that's all they do. So we said, isn't there an opportunity for brands to look at end-to-end the entire experience, understand every single touchpoint opportunity that you can interact with consumers and reinforce the sound of your brand? That's what we started thinking about. And then we had to write our own playbook. So I personally, again, partly because of my training and partly because of my passion, I started interacting with some of the best musicians, music composers, and studios from around the world. And we created what we believe is one of the most comprehensive sonic architectures, which has 10 layers. So far, we have released three layers. And already, just with these three layers, like I said, at the beginning of this year, when we received an award in just less than one year since launch, that now we are the world's number one audio brand, I was smiling to myself. It's like, you know, in a world of dwarfs, uh, you are like, you know, the, the giant. We are actually just beginning our journey, honestly. So from that perspective, uh, I, I feel very, very good. And, uh, you know, if I can just take a, a minute or two about our sonic architecture and what we created, I feel extremely proud about the work that we have done so far. So what we said is we need to have a melody that is uniquely associated with our brand. The melody has to be pleasant. Otherwise, people will be put off. It has to be memorable. Unless it is memorable, there is no strong association between the brand and the melody. It has to be very neutral. It should not dominate a situation, but it should actually support a situation. So it has to be neutral and subtle. It has to be hummable. It should be simple enough such that people can hum. That which you hum, it will stick in your head for a long time. That was the power and the magic of jingles from the past. Then we said it has to be very versatile. So whether you are in an opera kind of a setting or you are in a rugby World Cup match, either way, the situations are very different. One is noisy, boisterous, energetic. The other one is very subtle, classy, elegant. You, your brand has to feel native in both these situations. You have to be very native to any country and culture from around the world. Whether you're in Dubai or Shanghai or in Bogota, Colombia, you have to be very native in those environments. So we said we need to create a melody that is transportable to all these environments. And of course, my agency had looked at me like I had three heads. And it took us two full years of coming up with a melody, which I'm really pleased about. This melody is now in every one of our ads as the background. 
It's there in our videos. It's there at our events. It's there in our sponsorships. We leverage it everywhere, including like ringtones for the mobile phones and music on hold when somebody calls a MasterCard office. So this is the first layer. The second layer is a small subset. It's a three-second subset of this 30-second melody. So these three, this is what we call a sonic signature. The best sonic signature that I think in the world today is that of Intel. So this is the signature with which you end every event or every advertisement. So, but then what we did is we have derived it from our melody. So when you hear the sonic signature, it triggers the memory of the melody. So that we have launched. And the third layer that we have launched now is because MasterCard has a very unique advantage that every time you use your MasterCard at any for any transaction, we can make a sound. We can make a sound of our brand, which gives you a sense of reassurance, peace of mind, and a sense of completion of your transaction. People look for some kind of a confirmation to see, hey, has my transaction gone or not? We said we can tap into that psychology and then put in this 1.3 second derivative of the 30 second melody, which is what we call as our sonic acceptance sound. So this is our uh, game plan right now. And seven more layers of our architecture are in the pipeline. Wow. I, I had no idea that you were at such early stages um, with that. Because I think that, you know, like I said, being on the agency side before, we did talk to a lot of brands about how they were thinking about Sonic. And as you can imagine, a lot of them <clears throat> either weren't or were at the very early developmental stages. But I don't think I've um, had a conversation with someone that had such a long-term roadmap for what they wanted to do in that space. I'm curious, um, you know, I would imagine that a lot of... Um, you know, big tier brands are looking at this and thinking about it. When it comes to the fintech side of the world, so startups, scale up, maybe brands that don't have the marketing resources or marketing teams um, that a MasterCard or a city does, is, is Sonic branding still something you would recommend they look at? Or how would you recommend they think about the Sonic landscape relative to their other priorities for a business at that stage? Uh, I, I think that's a very powerful question that you have asked, right? I think the journey of branding needs to have a very thoughtful roadmap. The first stage is to get an awareness for your brand, then in, in, in the real uh, regular uh, visual form, and then move into the finer aspects of how you can translate it into sound or into taste or into smell or whatever other sense that you would like to uh, think about. Uh, for many of the fintech companies, they are pretty either startups or scale-ups. They have got a lot of brand building to go further. For them, it is not just about a cute logo or a nice audio brand, but it is about living the brand values and delivering the brand values and building a credibility and a character for the brand first and foremost. And of course, they are not necessarily sequential. You have to also look at, okay, you give a great experience, but who gave me that great experience? It is brand A, brand B, brand C, or whatever it is there. So that strong association has to be created. But if I am running my own startup or my own scale-up as a fintech company, my focus will be on brand experience as opposed to brand logo design or brand sound design. Yep, that's great. So I'm curious to hear, um, you know, obviously you've been you've been doing a lot of work on the Sonic side, but over the last seven years and earlier, you talked about some of the recognition that you're starting to get. And it's clear that you've kind of um, rejuvenated the MasterCard brand and brought it to a whole new level. 
what else has contributed to that? You know, what what what's the strategy been over the last seven years? What do you think has has created this momentum and this progress that you've had? Uh, so, firstly, what we have done is in 2013, trying to do a complete scenario planning, saying that where is the future heading, and are we prepared for that future or not? What are the strengths that we have, and what are the weaknesses that we are saddled with, and how do we address those? Uh, weaknesses and how do you tap into those strengths? Now, as a brand, the company had, uh, as I said, phenomenal equity. And uh, unlike many other brands, if not all other brands, uh, we have something which is extremely unique, something called priceless. Priceless is literally the soul of our brand. And when the priceless advertising campaign was launched in 1997, it took the world by storm. It instantly became a cultural phenomena. And around the world, when you have the talk show uh, or the stand-up comedians actually using the format of the priceless and making fun of it, you know you have gone into the culture. You have really seeped into the culture. It was resonating brilliantly. But that was created in 1997. And by the time we came to 2013, the world has evolved and changed so much. There was no social media in 1997. The mobile devices and the ubiquity of the mobile devices were not there in 1997. So we said the world is changing. Can we afford to be static? The answer is no. So what we did are multiple things. Number one, we said priceless is a truly a priceless asset for the company. How do we evolve it to be relevant for today and into the future? So that, for example, what we said is that priceless will be evolving from just being an advertising platform to being a holistic marketing platform. What that means is priceless will be infused into all the four P's of the marketing. The products, the praise, the price, and the promotion will be there everywhere. That means we have to rethink our products and our product design. We have to rethink our pricing strategies. We have to rethink our promotional strategies and, of course, our distribution strategies. So we had to really go through the whole thing on one side. Number two, given the reasons I mentioned before about advertising and people's aversion to advertising, we said we will move from traditional advertising into experiential marketing in a big way. So I pivoted a lot away from traditional advertising into sponsorships, events, uh, and curating and creating experiences for consumers in an unbelievable fashion. So we started getting heavily into sponsorships uh, in an unprecedented fashion. So we literally more than quadrupled our sponsorships in the last seven years, more than quadruple. And there was a method in that madness as well. So what did we do? We took the entire interest space of consumers and we said that there are 10 passion points which we need to focus on, meaning 10 areas in people's lives that they truly care about and that we should tap into and curate those experiences in those 10 passion points for consumers to connect with. So take, for example, sports. In sports, again, sports is one big word. It's an ocean in itself. Then you've got divisions. So we said golf. So golf, now we are one of the top sponsors of golf in the world. Then we went into cricket. So we sponsored Cricket Australia and we had got some phenomenal brand ambassadors like MS Dhoni uh, you know, from India. Uh, we went into baseball. We are probably the largest sponsors of baseball, of Major League Baseball. And we also sponsor MLB.com, their World Series, their All-Star Series and so on. 
uh, we went into uh, tennis. So French Open tennis, Australian Open tennis, uh, Miami Open. So we started sponsoring a whole bunch of tennis tournaments. And again, in each sport, we're also engaging with the brand ambassadors and signing them up for the long term. So sport by sport, we literally blanketed every single area of sports. And we leveraged these sponsorships uh, and the assets thereof to curate experiences for our consumers, which they cannot get otherwise by themselves. It's either meeting the artists or meeting the players or having some fun experiences or upgrade, all kinds of things. That was working very well for us. Then we went to a further level, particularly the culinary side. We said we will... In a MasterCard, how can we create culinary experiences? So we started off curating our own experiences. So we, for example, put what we call as a priceless table on top of a billboard in Times Square in Manhattan. So people were sitting on top of the billboard and having their meal, a five-course meal uh, served by a Michelin star chef. It was an exotic experience. It was very unusual, out of the ordinary. And then we started taking it to crazy places, like next to a dinosaur skeleton in a uh, museum or in the middle of a baseball field, and so on. So currently, we do thousands of these priceless tables around the world. And we went to the next level uh, in 2020, 2019, when we launched five restaurants. So now MasterCard has begun launching its own restaurants. And these restaurants are extremely unique, very, very different. And we try to take some exotic restaurants from around the world and replicate them in some other part of the world, of course, with licenses and everything. And I'll just give you one quick example. So there is a restaurant called The Rock uh, off the coast of Zanzibar in, Tan- in Tanzania. It's literally on a rock in the middle of the sea. Beautiful place. Very, very charming. It's like a thatched hut on top of the rock. We went there and we took the views and 360 pictures and everything came back and in Manhattan, indoors, we created, recreated that rock, including the smells, including the sounds, including the cutlery, the menu, the uh, waiters and waitresses were all talking about speaking in Swahili. We curated that. And in fact, I was so delighted when Forbes has published an article saying that if you don't have a MasterCard, the time is now for you to go and get one to be able to experience this. That's exactly the emotion that we wanted to create. So it has been a complete pivoting to a different set of dimensions uh, of how we go about marketing our brand, marketing our company. And uh, it has been paying us off uh, pretty nicely. Sounds like it. It's exciting too. Those sound like some fun projects to be working on. So what about uh, what about the other side of the coin, Raja? So there's a lot of things that have been working well. What hasn't worked well in the last seven years that you can share and maybe some lessons that you've learned from it? Right. So... We uh, try and experiment a lot. Uh, And when we talk about a lot, uh, I really mean a lot. So basically, uh, we follow this paradigm where we say that try a a lot of things quickly, uh, fail fast and uh, cheap. Uh, because we don't have budgets where we can afford to have uh, mega failures. Absolutely not. So, But uh, if you have to fail, fail cheap and quickly so that you can learn something and then go on to something else. So I would say that more than 80 to 85% of everything that we try doesn't work. And that's by design because we want to experiment, we want to learn, right? So therefore, there is a whole spectrum of things that we tried and that never worked, and which was quite fine for us because the whole idea was to learn from these experiences. Uh, And some of the new technologies, for example, we were trying, we realized we are far ahead of the times. So they would not work right now. But we know 
that they will work one day. But And we have got the necessary wherewithal to launch when we had to launch. We want to move at the speed of light. In fact, uh, some of my team members keep joking. They said, you know, it's at the speed of Raja. The reality is uh, that the world goes slower than what you might want to. And sometimes your, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure is not fully uh, geared up to react to that level of speed. So we have to find alternate solutions and partner with external partners. Some of those partnerships will work. Some of those partnerships don't work. So we had partnership successes. We had partnership failures too. So, and we tried some new technologies. They worked. Some did not work. Uh, sometimes we think it's a great idea. And when we go to the market research, we find that consumers they say, mm, maybe it's nice, but I, I don't think I'll go for that. So we had to drop those off. So it, I would so not say that there is one, but there are lots of failures, but these are by design and with an idea to learn. Yeah. Uh, I love the fail cheap uh, philosophy. And, and then also, I think, I think a lot of people now, especially coming out of Silicon Valley and a lot of these tech companies that have grown in the last 10 years and really permeated a lot of modern day business culture, a lot of people talk about failing fast and failing and learning and failing forward or whatever else. But I think most people probably aren't that aren't at that level where they're comfortable with 85% of what they do not working and that being intentional, that being by design, that being actually what you're pushing for. Um, so I think that's great. That's super exciting. So what else? Uh, you've clearly got a lot going on. We talked about the future for Sonic branding. What else is on the roadmap for MasterCard that you can share? What else are you excited about in the upcoming year or two? We are looking at the next five years with a new strategic framework, which we call Sense and Sensibility. So totally borrowing from Jane Austen. Sense is multi-sensory approach. So this is leveraging the senses of sight, sound, and taste. Uh, That will be going full-fledged, and I explained to you a little bit. The other part of it, which I'm very excited, and it's very meaningful to us, is about sensibilities. So when you look at the society, uh, just below the surface, there are some subtle dynamics which keep going. Most of the people, either they don't, they know that it is there, but they don't do anything about it, or for political correctness or for uh, political convenience, call it whichever, they stay clear of those. So we said that is an opportunity that we have to jump right into. And uh, one of the things we have realized is that uh, transgenders, typically, there are a lot of uh, you know uh, situations that they go through which many do not understand. Or if they understand, they don't care. Uh, and they have got some judgment about, you know, whether it's right to be a transgender or not, etc. And what we said is, what gives anyone a right to judge somebody for their preferences, for their choices that they make? Everyone has a right to live the life that they would like to. Uh, and if somebody wants to change their gender, that's entirely up to them. Who are we to say that you should not, or he is not right or whatever? So we started studying actually the segment of transgenders, which in itself is not a very popular subject, by the way. But we started trying to understand that. And one of the problems that they face was stunning to us. So when a transgender says there was a person called uh, Lucas who has decided to uh, change gender and now the person is Lucy. As for the regulations, the name of the individual has to be on the card credit card or debit card, and the legal name, in this case, if it is Lucas, that's what it shows. So when Lucy goes with a card which says Lucas and goes to a shop, 
they feel that they get dirty looks. They get uh, a reaction from the merchant that, are you really this person? Or is it a stolen card? What is happening out here? Kind of a thing. And uh, so we said, how could we help them? We looked at the legal uh, angle and we also looked at what the possibilities are. We said, look, the solution is so simple. Why don't we print the name Lucy on the front of the card? And in the back, in the fine print, you can say Lucas because that's what is legally required. It's a very simple solution, but a profound impact. So we launched a card called True Name Card. So this True Name Card, when we launched, initially a lot of people were very hesitant. Uh, and of course, we received a lot of hate mail as well. But the moment it has been announced, you should see the kind of outpouring of support that we had received. And as many as 11 banks have signed up to launch this card. So which is extremely gratifying to me because we're seeing we are addressing a real subtle undercurrent in the society in the right way, bringing a solution, solving somebody else's problem, but also creating a new business opportunity for the company. This is one of my favorite examples. People expect brands to just not be selling machines. They want brands to have values. They want brands to take a stance on various issues. And they want brands to do something about those issues that they have taken stance on. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. So this is what we call sensibility. A lot of these things are going to come down the pike. And that's an area which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, it's, it's a bit risky in terms of its strategy because the fact that they are controversial, the fact that there are two sides to any issue will put us on one side or the other, which means you're potentially alienating the other side. But we need to be bold. And as a brand, we need to believe in something and do something about what we believe in. Yeah. So I, I know we're running up on time, but I did want to get a chance to ask you about, um, you've been very vocal with your thoughts on the opportunity and even the responsibility of brands during this time of crisis. So some of the things that you've talked about recently in the in the trade press and the media, there's a time to serve, there's a time to sell. Now is the time for brands to ask how we can help. So maybe you can expand on that for a minute and what it means during this uh, period that we're in specifically. Yeah. See, before you are a marketer or behave like a marketer, you should first put on the hat of the consumer. Behave like a real human being and a real consumer. As a consumer, do I like to be exploited? Do I like to be blackmailed or held to ransom? The answer is absolutely no. And I'll give you a simple example. I was trying to buy a stand for my iPad. I wanted to do in a lot of these uh, uh, Zoom calls and so on. And when I went to one of the reputed online stores, that iPad stand was priced at $61 or $62, whatever the price was, which was okay. I was ready to go ahead and pay for it. It seemed reasonable. But then when I go to check out, it says that your shipping cost is $211. I, I said, this is atrocious, right? You cannot gouge the consumers when they are vulnerable. I was helpless, so I had to buy it. I bought it. But will I ever go back to that retailer, online retailer, if I ever have a chance, if I have an alternative? Never. So the point is, as a brand marketer, now putting the, uh, uh, as a marketer, uh, putting the marketer's hat on, don't ever exploit somebody when they are vulnerable. Don't be opportunistic. You definitely tap into opportunities, but not in an opportunistic manner. Don't try to sell. When people are suffering, when people are vulnerable, 
help them, serve them. Be a decent human being first and foremost. It's very easy to exploit in these kind of situations, but don't. Serve them. This is the time to serve. And also what happens, you know, the old uh, uh, proverb or uh, adage which says, a friend in need is a friend indeed. Be a friend to the consumer when the consumer needs you. Then when good times come, the consumer will stick with you. Second part of it is don't fake it. If you have nothing to say, shut up and sit in your corner. If you fake it, consumers will sniff you out from a mile away. So be authentic, be sincere. And if you can't do anything, just keep quiet. But that doesn't mean if you are a smart marketing company that you go dark. Don't go dark. In a time when people are needing help, you will have an opportunity to help uh, if you really look for it, right? It can be anything. Like, you know, uh, it doesn't have to do with your core business. It can be when people are trying to help, when brands are trying to help, people don't question and say, do you have permission to really do this thing? Everyone has permission to help. And help is appreciated when people are in trouble, when people are in need. Just be uh, truthful about it. And uh, so you don't have to stay dark. Stay true uh, to your values. Be authentic. Don't fake. And don't gouge. And don't be exploitative. I would say this is what uh, marketers have to be doing and behaving at times of crisis like this. Well, I think that is a great note to end it on. So that wraps up today's episode and season one of the FinTech Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much to Raja for joining us. Where can people connect with you, hear more of what you have to say? Uh, where would you like to point our audience? LinkedIn is one. And uh, I, I also try to do uh, three or four posts every week on Twitter. Okay. So it is at Raja Rajabannar. Great. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. If you want to find out more about 11FS, head on over to 11FS.com to see how we're helping companies go truly digital. And don't forget to subscribe to the FinTech Marketing Podcast. And please do leave us a review if you've liked what we've put out today with Raja or over the course of season one. And we're always here and always open and would love to hear your thoughts. Find us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Have a great day.